This is episode five of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. I am Josh Folan, and customarily, I, on this podcast, am having a coffee with a talented filmmaker that works in the low to micro budget filmmaking space. Today's interview is Sans Coffee, though, because I'm talking to Shawnee Shakru, who has never had a cup of coffee in his entire life. Fun fact. But he is the writer, director, and a producer on the feature film Misty Button, which I just watched uh, at its world premiere at the San Luis Obispo International Film Festival on St. Patty's Day. Let's get rolling. I am here with... Shawnee Shukro. And uh, we are... Uh, I just watched uh, his film that he wrote, directed, produced, probably did a bunch of other shit on, uh, <laughs> at the San Luis Obispo Film Festival. And... Uh, we're sitting in a car on the parking lot of SLO Brew. That's the name of it? Slow Blue at the Rock. Right, yeah. which is one of the screening venues at uh, the SLO Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, this is as indie as it gets, even on the interview front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the first question uh, I like to ask is, the first dollar you earned as an entertainment industry professional, what was it and how did you score the gig? The first dollar I made was actually in a play called Black Me Out. And we kind of, it was a five, five performances in a week. Okay. And we actually turned a profit. <laughs> and we made, I think, double that. And then we split it between the actors. And then I got what was left over. I think I made like 400 bucks off that run. That's, which, I, you know. I, I produced theater for over a year. I don't, I don't think, I definitely didn't make money. Well, no, that's I've definitely that's lost lot. that 400 bucks since over <laughs> multiple <laughs> times. But that was the first that I made. Nice. That's, that's fucking a good first outing. No, no question. Mm-hmm. We definitely didn't make money the first few fucking theater things I done. I did. <laughs> it is not a, nor- I started at the top and then I worked my way down <laughs> gradually. Nor- yeah. Normally not a profitable <laughs> venture producing theater, indie theater. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe a big theater, too. I don't know. It's not like I fucking have any idea. Yeah, theater in general. Right. Okay, so that out of the way, the project, your elevator pitch of it. Go. My elevator pitch is um, more about the film. Yeah, like what's, you know, how would, if you were stuck in an elevator, how the hell would you sell the story? Oh, like okay. 30 seconds? I was trying to wonder what the term <laughs> elevator pitch is. Like, um, who am I in the elevator with? A man, a woman, an older oh, man? Oh, I can't give you a con. You're, you're, you're able to take creative license with that con. Okay, great, got yeah. it. <laughs> um, I would say it's about two Irish guys um, living in a real neighborhood in Woodlawn. A lot of people don't believe the neighborhood exists, but it's really there. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, I'm sure you haven't seen Black Penner. No, I'm not. I have the DVD, the screen. Right. Well, it's like a, it's a world. It's, a, I guess it's in Africa, but you have to go through a loophole to get there, and that's what this feels like. It doesn't feel like you're in America anymore once you get there. It's everyone's Irish, and there's some Irish Americans, but for the most part, like I remember we worked with the Kerry Man back in the day. You can buy the Kerry Man like local tiny town papers up there. Potatoes, club orange, all these Irish. Like that's incredible. Yeah, you can literally have a meal that's exactly the same as what you get in Ireland. Um, the only thing different is the currency. They do have dollars up there. No euro. <laughs> well, they probably would take euros. But um, so it's two guys living up there and they're both out of luck. Um, the film kind of starts with the one guy, James, um, you know, textbook, loses his job and wife all within the same week. Um, and he's got no money. And the other guy, Owen, is just a degenerate. His best friend is just a degenerate fuck up. Um, I can say fuck up on your podcast. You can right? say yeah, whatever yeah. the fuck you want on my podcast. Um, so the two guys <laughs> run into a very mysterious stranger called Timmy Thomas, who I based on um, what it would be like for an Irish guy in Ireland, like the most rural person living 
that you can, no one can understand a word they're saying. Just throw him into New York City and see how he fares out. And that's this guy, Timmy Thomas. And he um, meets the two of them and he's like, he has a business opportunity. He says, here is 10 grand and when you go down to a pub, because gambling, there's a bookie in every pub and we'll run. It's like, go down there and put the bet on the horse, Misty Button, name of the film. And they go down there and it turns out the race is two hours later than what they told it was gonna be. So they, they start digging into the pot of money you know, he wouldn't mind if we take out our share first. They put, they start drinking, they start doing blow in the bathroom, and then they ultimately decide to take the action themselves. We're not putting the bet on. The horse isn't going to win. It's 35 to 1 for a reason. So they they end up, so which makes them the bookie now. They've taken, they've decided to keep the action. It's not going to win. We're going to be up 9 grand when we leave. And of course, the horse wins. Comes in at 35 to 1. Um, and now they owe this guy money, and the, the funny thing is, it's not even that guy's money, it's the guy that's in the mafia in the Bronx. So, Timmy Thomas, they give the money to Timmy Thomas, as they said in the film, he had one job, get the bet in. And the bet doesn't get put on, and now these guys owe the mafia 300 grand, 350 grand. So, the, to pay back the mafia, they end up having to work and do idle jobs for the mafia. So, two and, and kind of, cal calamity ensues. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, I already, you know, I know the chief roles on this already, but like I said, there's probably some other shit I, I, that you had to deal with too on a day-to-day -day basis. What were, were uh, what was slash were your roles on it, and then also, um, how did the project? How did you, being the writer, normally I would ask, I'm asking how did you come to the project, but like if you weren't the writer, given you are the writer, how what was the nugget of incep of of inspiration that led to? this which right. I just heard on stage uh, in the Q&A but right. yeah exactly I'll change it up for you this time yeah well my role was um, the first two films we worked on you took care of the UPM stuff and shit like that so it was like okay you're working on Ask for Jane so it's like alright I gotta find people to replace the work you do so Amanda took on the UPM role a little bit and Pat and Pat was the editor. Right. So all the jobs you did on Love is in Catch Me Too, besides the writing and directing, <laughs> I found people to fill in those holes. Right. Yeah, so found people. You know, I heard, I watched House of Cards um, before we shot uh, Misty Button, and there was a line in it, I'm smart enough to know the things I'm stupid at. <laughs> so that was like, okay, I got the writing and directing under control, I right. producing location scouting. Um, and then Pat Shearer, who you know well, right. he... Um, he just does so much, so it was. I called I, last night when I when he introduced me to his mom and dad. I told him you have created an indispensable human being. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yes, Pat Scherer is an indispensable human being. He, yeah, literally like, jack of all trades. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> so that the, so my my biggest thing was pre production and Pat kind of took care of a lot of the post production stuff. Right. Yeah, location scouting. We actually found a diner to shoot in. Um, and it burnt down, I think, four or five days before the shoot. Goodfellas Diner, they actually filmed Goodfellas in there. We're like, we had a lot of setbacks, that was one of the big ones. And diners are actually, I've come to learn, one of the hardest locations to get because they're open all the time. Right. And so we ended up... It's a perfect example of like, there's shit you can't learn about filmmaking until you're in it and shit goes wrong while you're trying to do it. You know? Exactly. Like that yeah. specific thing, like that thing about location scouting that diners are hard would never occur to a right. to someone exactly. prior to. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of, it's good having the writer with you all the time when you're the producer. And we were like, yeah, cafe will work fine. You know, that was right. it. And he worked in a cafe 
And there's even a line in the script where Owen says that we forgot to change and we didn't realize it until post-production. But Owen says, you can't go work in a diner right now. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wait, we changed it. But it was a little, the diner kind of, the cafe kind of feels like yeah, a diner well, And he's too. a fuck-up, too. The idea and that he's he a fuck-up. Yeah, that he would nail the dialogue. Anything, exactly. Anything specifically. Yeah, just, so it all worked out probably perfect. Here. Yeah. Uh, word. So, how much time was spent fundraising, and what were the sources and percentage of those sources? So, not you don't need dollar amounts, but right. The actually, it was like the Hemingway line. It happened gradually and then suddenly. <laughs> it was uh, baby steps. True theater. We um, we put Love Is Dead back up yeah. in August, and uh, I think every time I put a play up, I say I'm never doing this again. Every time we shoot it in the put it up, I'm never doing it again. <laughs> and that one was especially was tough because it was like the longest run we did. I think it was like a three week run. And um, just like that was the one, the secret, the one I saw exactly you saw it with Fritz. Yeah. But um, getting people to come to plays is just rough. At the beginning, it's easy because everyone's like, "Oh, there's novelty. You've never done this before. Right. Let's check it." But when you put up a dozen. I play a dozen times in New York it's like it gets tougher and tougher Down, downside to being prolifically productive yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. even when people will walk out of the theater and say that was the if they, if they hypothetically said that's the best thing I've ever seen I'm like amazing there's still a chance they're not going to come the next time you do it because they're doing something or right. you know so like yeah, it, live events in general man. yeah mm-hmm. so Love is Dead that screen like sitting at home and it's like oh my god we've only sold 10 tickets to the show tonight like it's just, it's so stressful. The anxiety is crazy. And that run was like, oh my God, what am I doing? So, but a few people came to that play that um, Julie Reifers, we cast in the play, and she came and she introduced me to a few people that really liked the play. And three of them became investors in the film. So, like, those baby steps really, well, and uh, I think we had the first um, money in, uh, which was about a fifth of the budget. And I started auditioning the, the roles in uh, January. And I just kind of, I had a few people on the fence and I kind of just had a good feeling about it. It's like, yeah, we'll get the money. That's you just set keep dates, going forward. I assume, right? That's, yeah. That's we, always huge. That's exactly. Yeah. Actually, it was March that we got the first money and started auditioning in April and May. And we, we had, we said June, which is the worst time to shoot a film in New York, especially <laughs> if there's nighttime exteriors because there's just no nighttime. I don't know. Yeah, a little it's worse. Like to sh- little worse to shoot fucking later in the summer when it's really fucking scalding hot, probably. Yeah, true. Yeah, but time, yeah, daylight. Yeah. Wise. So that's kind of how we got. And the last uh, one producer, I won't mention her name, but the last night we were shooting, um, so we've got sixty percent of the budget in at this point. Um, but like we're at the point where okay we have to pay the crew right after the shoot and it's like we need to get this money in or like or I'm gonna have to go get a bank loan so (laughs) she uh, was like great job tonight and uh, she walked up to me at the bar we've got one more scene to get still but we're almost done with the shoot I haven't stepped in two weeks and like a child making his holy communion she slipped something in my pocket like my Aunt would put a ten dollar bill in my pocket, <laughs> and I pick it out, and it's like a check for a lot of money. Yeah, so that was like relief. That's that was probably awesome. the most fulfilling moment of my career was when she did that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. And that was it. We we funded, and then we got some more money in post production. So all, all yeah, all equity then, all, all private investors. Yeah, fully uh, financed by private investors. Exactly. Word. Uh, okay, so this is nuts and bolts shit. I'm just gonna fire these at you. Fire yep. answers back quick. Okay. How many shoot days? Nine. How many script pages? 124. Number of speaking roles? I would guess 24. <laughs> Average daily crew head count? Less than 12. Number of locations? More than 20. 
and, and lastly, estimated cost per plate for meals and from whom those meals were sourced. Um, between ten and twelve dollars, Chef Joanne, who you know well. Uh, yeah, you introduced me. I was actually, yeah, I, I don't think I want. I almost. I hate. I, I try. I don't ever want to participate in Q and As. I don't want on either side of it, really, to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> uh, I almost raised my hand in the Q and A and asked whether Chef Joe, how much that was going to be my question. And I was like, oh, I'll right. send it to the interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, dude. I, I've uh, on more than one of these because you know she did ask for Jane too. I, so I talked to Kate and Rachel and mm. uh, talking to people about like my biggest. Um, the thing, you know, I have a, a, a decade's worth of Rolodex from working in New York. And right. like, I think the, the component of that Rolodex I miss most is Chef Joanne. Right. Yeah, <laughs> she's great. Yeah. Getting her bag back to her every night was like, um, she, she wants her bag back now at the end of the night, which is a new policy that I didn't know. But, like, we were working 22-hour days, and I was in charge of getting the bag back some days, so it just didn't happen. Yeah. But uh, we, we met at work. Yeah. That's funny, yeah. Which is, yeah, she needs that to deliver the food. So exactly, yeah. So she just started, we just started picking up the trays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so where, so where are you at? Just again, to, I guess the final, the context here. Where are you at in the production timeline flowchart? Uh, so, I mean, you basically just, so this is the festival premiere right now. Mm-hmm. So I think you already, you, you talked about, again, this is redundant to what you just said in the, the Q&A, but just to give context to a listener. Uh, you're at the first festival premiere. Where are you at? Where does this relate to? When did you, you, you said you started shooting in June mm-hmm. and you were developing from like March. And right. And when did you start writing? Right. I started, I actually went back and looked at the, uh, the scripts and the saved, the saved, whatever you call it. <laughs> and, uh, the first draft was in September of 2008, 17. 17. So, um, and it was funny, there was five Irish guys and then two of them dropped off and it was just left with those three guys. Uh, and I actually read the script and it was a lot of fun going back and reading the first draft because it's like right. a completely different thing. So I started writing it last September. I had the first table reading in January. Um, the second, which was a disaster. The second <laughs> reading in March was a lot better and we shot it in June. Pat started editing it in July. Um, I'm surprised Pat didn't start editing it the night you finished shooting when he still hadn't slept. Well, we we wrapped. <laughs> on the, yeah, but he started dumping footage and uh, syncing sound probably at the end of June. Um, we got the first rough cut probably in September. Uh, we started submitting to first. I think we tried to make we sent Sundance the worst cut you could imagine, right. which is probably whenever the date is September October. Yeah, September usually. Mid-September, yeah, September September eighteenth, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And two we years actually ago. we sent slow a cut I think in October, which was was very. Uh, Pause, reassuring and validating to get that in because it was kind of rough. Uh, one of the producers is from here, which helped. Um, and now we just Will Watley, sound guy you also suggested, just finished his work two or three weeks ago. So that was the day now we had a finished film. Done, done. Yeah, now it's on to the next thing. Yeah, word. Uh, so the most notable constraint, and this is you know. Obviously, money is the answer to that question, so not just money. But what did not having enough of that make most difficult for you? We, the camera department, we shot um, on a red. We got Michael Knight in from L.A. with the, came with the camera, uh, the Helium AK. And we got an... So we put a lot of our money into, like, the memory and the batteries, all that stuff was just, like, cost a lot, obviously. Um, we didn't we we had him and he's an incredible dp 
and he was he he had a lot more experience than the guys we put working with him. Just because they were like we had a, an AC who was amazing, great filmmaker, but he hadn't worked with the camera before, so pulling focus tough, right? was tough, and we lost a lot of time because it's like shoot, it was soft again. Right, right. That was um. So and just because I know sliding, this is like maybe over over fucking whatever. I noticed a lot of racks too, which is not the most time conscious. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And pens, yeah, that exactly, yeah. So probably he needed uh, eight more people working with him, basically. Yeah. Like Lee was great, but he needed like a, a, a more another ex guy who's worked with the camera before, a super experienced AC. Uh, Pat was the grip, and he was an actor in the film. <laughs> So definitely a lack of uh, crew would be uh, the biggest thing, and then time, obviously. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. The I would love to have got more coverage. I was reading about um, that movie Gun Girl the other day and how it had twenty five hundred shots. So I started counting in my head what we had. I'd say maybe like in the three hundreds, like total shot count in the film. Yeah. So yeah, you'd he, love he had, he had a few more bucks but, and a little bit more time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. David Fincher definitely has more time, more money. Yeah. Um, a memorable benefit. So that's a memorable constraint. Tell me a memorable benefit. Uh, you know, I often find that having we've talked about we've talked, you know many times with Love Is Dead and Catch Twenty Two, some of the things that we like did because we like or, or concessions we thought we were making mm -hmm. ended up behooving the end product or what the end product should be. You know what I mean? Right. Like basically that forced creativity makes you come up with a solution that was like, oh shit, I wouldn't even have bothered to think of that. Right. Had we not not had the money to do the thing we thought we needed. You know? Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anything like that that comes to mind? You know what comes to mind actually is the insanity of the shoot. The first four days we shot, we ended up owing like a, a scene or two each day. And we were in big trouble going into our kind of day off, even though we worked all day and got pickups and stuff. But after day four, Kim Mattel, our production designer, who you know, um, she said, okay, um, we, we had three guns for the shoot. We didn't need one anymore. We got everything with Alonzo's cool big gun. You're like, you can bring that back. So she gave me a briefcase. So to save money, we dropped that one back before the other two. But I did not know all three guns were in. And this was a Friday night going into Saturday, day five. Sunday was day six. Sunday everywhere was closed, rental houses. So day five, I did not know that all three guns were in the thing. So I drove after working 22 hours straight. I drove to the rental house in Long Island City, that gun spot, and I returned the briefcase with all the guns. <laughs> so I went out, we had a day off where we just did pickups. We got that cool slider shot uh, with Pat and Wally. And then on the Sunday, Kim goes, hey Sean, where are the guns? <laughs> we're about to shoot all those crazy shootout scenes. Like there was nothing we could do that wasn't without the guns. There was just nothing we could shoot. And with the location was booked. It was, and I go, Kim, what do you mean, where are the guns? I brought the guns back. I brought the gun back the other day. You have the other two guns. And I'll never forget her face. She's like, all three guns were in the brief. Just such a miscommunication. So what we had to do was change the entire shooting schedule. Send home the actors that came in. We had to get one guy to come back from Woodstock. We had one guy, Sean Kennedy, who was on his way to see Jurassic Park, and he was just walking in, about to turn his phone off, and the AD called him and said, we need you here immediately. Flipped the whole thing, and um, kind, of, kind of like Southern Deputy, we, whatever happened that night, we met up so much ground, and we actually got all the scenes we'd missed on the first four days, and it, it, it actually saved the entire shoot. 
because disaster. of returning. Yeah, that one disaster. And then that church. Well, probably, I mean, having that big fuck up is like everyone's probably like fuck on their toes now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that church on Katona Avenue where you see the exterior, we actually shot a lot in there. Timmy Thomas's house. There's a room in the back. We made it look like the living room. We were driving by there looking for motels, another location that's tricky without a budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, we drove by the church. And actually, you should ask me that. We, we had a good one for Aspartame. It was all about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I should have. Yeah. In hindsight, but we drove by that church and there was a number on the front of it. And we're like, let's just call this guy, see what happens. And he called us right back and it ended up being our headquarters. Like we set up a sta- station in there. That's where the crew call was every day in Woodland. And it, all because drove by, we're like, yeah, let's make a phone call. And that also really helped having a home base. We thought, we did the same thing happened with Astrogen. We thought we, we were like, well, we're just, just going to be, we don't have the money for it. We're just going to be transient. And like... Mm. It's a long-winded story, but like we ended up falling into one of the houses that we were using as the first week location as our home base, and like in hindsight, I just don't know how the fuck we could have possibly right never. We, we there's just no way. There's yeah. no way we could have survived without having that as a state. Oh man, it saved here. everything. The church yeah. was haunted, but yeah. it was, it was <laughs> amazing. Yeah, oh, well, ours was too. We had someone died in the house. That's oh, how, I remember that's, you telling yeah, me that. That's, yeah. that's how we got that location. Someone died. Right. Uh, yeah. Li- literally. <laughs> That's serendipity right yeah, there. Yeah, my yeah. Best. <laughs> yeah. The next morning, everyone's coming in like, "Oh, where's the lady?" Right. <laughs> At least the corpse wasn't in the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So, do you? So that we just talked about for you a memorable benefit thing, something from you know your workload that that, that having no money helped. Do you recall? And I have a, I have a good guess of who you might end up telling me this for or telling a story about here, but. The do you recall an instance of someone else on the production overcoming low budget constraints and doing the same thing, creating more? Like I didn't think. Oh, I thought I didn't think the person had the resources to accomplish that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, is there any examples of that that you can think of specifically? Um. What was your example from Ask for Jane? My example. Well, I, I was saying I think I know who would. I, I was guessing you would tell me something Kim did. Uh, oh right (laughs) well actually Kim's job uh, she did an insane job but a lot of the locations helped her out like that scene with Timmy Thomas um, that room we turned into a living room um, we pulled the furniture out and that back wall just looks incredible. It's yeah, so shitty. It looks like a shitty apartment. Yeah, yeah. She really didn't have to do anything in there. So she was <laughs> she walked in, she's like, This is perfect. I'm gonna go back out and make blood. <laughs> yeah. Word. Uh, yeah, and then Yeah, definitely Kim, man. She had uh, she had some job. Also, just like the camera department, Kim was a one man show too in the art department, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the answer to that kind of is always everyone. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, biggest mistake you've personally made on the project to date? Oh, that's a great question. Biggest mistake. Other than the guns, I guess. Probably, the, yeah, the guns was a huge But that one. panned out, so you really can't use that as an example. Honestly, I think I... It needs to be the thing that, like, has had the most lasting repercussion. You know what? That, <laughs> what annoys me the most is the hundred bucks I wasted applying to Sundance. <laughs> that really bothered... Like, why did I even waste the money and time to... And I didn't... I, I, you never know. I, yeah. I, everyone, you know, I've had... Uh, that one I did in Rochester, I argued with the guys. I was like, they were like, fuck, they're like, why even bother with that? I'm like, because who the fuck, you did you spent all this time. Right. You spent all this other money, yeah. all this time, and just, I mean, yes, even if you have a finished good film, mm-hmm. the odds are it's a waste of money. Right. But fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna piss your money, if you're gonna piss a hundred dollars onto a wall, right. In filmmaking, 
make it something that's at least like a dice roll that's going to take you somewhere. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's uh, true. Actually, my biggest, I, I, um, you know, the scene in the bathroom when the guys are doing cocaine. Right. I love that bathroom. It looks. It, it yeah, looks it looks great. And perfectly, yeah, the lighting is perfect in there. Exactly, but it's shot in these village, and uh, the I just didn't want to. We had to. That was a sixteen-hour day, and then we had to shoot the exterior of when Owen is about to commit a crime. I won't get into the details, <laughs> but um, we we on the schedule that sixteen-hour day was really an eight-hour day. That's what we were hoping for, and then we were going to get in cars and SUVs and go to Woodlawn. I can't believe on a hundred and twenty-four pages of nine days that you had any scheduling that looked like an eight-hour day. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> well, we had somewhere else to be after. But uh, we just, we were 16 hours in. It's an hour, and uh, it's an, uh, at that time it was rush hour. It would have taken us an hour and a half to get to Woodlawn. So we were like, okay, we gotta get the shot in the East Village. And the location, the exterior, where that whole stuff was supposed to happen was gonna be actually in the suburbs. And uh, that's where I really wanted that shot, where you could see the guy on the stoop in the background while the two were talking mm-hmm. with the balaclava pulled down. And we, we lost that shot. But if we'd gone to Woodlawn that day, it would have been a 26-hour day. We wouldn't have been wrapped by the time we were supposed to be back to work the (laughs) next day. So it was one of the... I guess I just went with the bathroom over that. But that's the one thing I wish that we'd got that on that other location. But I don't know if that's a mistake or if it was just... The scheduling was pretty insane. Creative concession, man. Mm -hmm. You can't have... That's why I got... I mean, yeah, you you can't have everything. You can't be kicking you too when you're fucking doing... 124 pages on nine days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's going to be some shit that gets lost. Yeah. Some things that get lost in the fire. Exactly. Uh, Having been through and learned much of what you will and have from this project, what is the thing that you most want to do differently on your next feature? And that, you know, and, I mean, again, kind of the, an obvious answer for this is like, we want to have more money and like more of the right. thing. It doesn't have to be a mistake or like a thing that you lost, just like mm-hmm. a difference in, you know, I fucking want to shoot in the fucking woods. Or like, I, you know, I had one filmmaker tell me, like, I just want to, we shot in, this, in an urban environment mm-hmm. and fucking want to go out somewhere that's quiet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, and like, just like yeah. a difference in, in environment or whatever. Yeah, I want to go to Ireland. I have a script set in Ireland, yeah. which you read, right. Tornish, really. I really want to go there and shoot. I have a script in LA that's almost done I'd love to shoot in LA too um, do differently obviously yeah more time get more coverage and a bigger camera uh, team but um, I think shooting in June and we actually literally shot on June 21st is a mistake <laughs> especially when you're shooting at nighttime it's just it, we were chasing that the night light like crazy and that would added so I would have more patience to wait till September next time we get a little bit more balance with day and night night light Awesome. Especially in New York. That's one thing I would have done differently, I think. Word. Um, okay. Well, fucking... That, uh... Let's get the fuck out of this car, I guess. Last thing uh, I ask is... Uh, define... Well, first, how can we follow the project? Uh, and are there any other notable dates coming up festival-wise? Uh, you can follow the project at www.mistybutton.com. We have Misty Button Facebook and Instagram page. We also have Locked in the Attic Productions page um, as well. So any of those. And what's next is we actually submitted this, a rough cut we got in. So we just started submitting the f- the final film um, two, three weeks ago to a bunch of festivals. I took your advice and signed up for Film Freeway, which is midlife so much easier mm-hmm. to win out of box. It's definitely. And uh, well, the like goal... You don't have much of a choice, but yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> The goal now is um, getting it over to Ireland. Um, 
it, it was fun the film you know the main characters are Irish and the humor there's a lot of jokes that Irish people will get you know that Americans might not but we're actually been pretty happy with the reaction from the American audience too but we are excited to take it over to Ireland we're hoping to get into Galway we're hoping to get into Cork where the two main lads are from and then take it to East Coast in New York also Woodstock, Brooklyn where we're just I was actually uh, I was talking to Ted about fucking he broke up with his girlfriend and he's oh, no having, a, having a travel not, not, I don't know if it's a crisis or not but he's like I have some time to myself now and I think about traveling he was talking about going to Ireland oh nice Maybe we could structure yeah exactly I don't know where September tell yeah. him yeah. I still haven't been to Galway either that's supposedly where the phones hail from yeah Galway uh, they Gal- will correct you over there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I'm sure I'll get yeah, corrected yeah. by a lot of things yeah yeah uh, word uh, so yeah then the last thing I like to ask is define the phrase independent filmmaking as you see it I want to shoot myself in the head <laughs> That's, a That's good the last thing I That's say to myself every night. Uh, print it. I don't. I don't need. I don't need any. Uh, I don't need any follow up to that. Uh, we're, and then your socials. Uh, I mean, you already mentioned the film, but what are your socials? Uh, yeah, Shawnee Shukru S E A N I E Shukru S U G R U E. You can get me on Facebook and Instagram. I don't Twitter, but I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Where I like that. I love the the attempt he the the Q and A moderator made. It's your name. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> and he actually asked me beforehand how to say it, and he still botched it. Yeah, shukru. tough dude. No Charmaine still has the best Sergio. <laughs> People still laugh at it. And the guy at the theater who reviewed Catch Twenty Two, I can't remember what Shawnee Serge is. I remember uh, the guy who freaked out after seeing Catch Twenty Two. He was like, you remember the guy in the movie theater? He walked down. He's like, oh my god. I can't even talk about this right now. Do you remember? I don't remember this. Sounds amazing. I wish I could. I'm gonna send it to you. Oh my! You don't remember the guy's review on camera? No. I'm gonna have to send it to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I sometimes think I'm fucking. I have Alzheimer's. Well, Sony, Sony Sergio is what he said. <laughs> yeah. It's a, every time I hear something, like, I literally, like, I like wait on edge, like or not on edge, but like with anticipation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how, how are they gonna do it? All right, man. Fucking a. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. That is a wrap on episode five of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. Thank you to Shawnee for ducking out of the post-screening chaos that that, that follows a screening of your work at a film festival and ducking into uh, his PT Cruiser to chat with me for a half hour for this thing. And if you'd like to follow the pod, subscribe to the pod, what have you, you can do so on iTunes, SoundCloud, various Android platforms, Google Play, etc., Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Podbean, probably anywhere else you listen to your pods. And uh, if you could, and, and like what uh, uh, the information that you're getting here, please do leave a review of semi-positive nature so uh, other people, or rather to help other people find this thing. And if you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at Josh Folan, on Instagram at MyShiftKeysBroke, and my production company website is nyehentertainment.com. Till next time.